When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, My guest in this episode has been recognised in this year's uh, 2021 Western Australian of the Year Awards. Uh, He's also been recognised in the 40 Under 40 Awards uh, and so many other things uh, to get through in the next hour or so. He's uh, a country boy uh, initially, grew up uh, in rural Western Australia, having been born in Derby. Uh, then a graduate of uh, Murdoch University. He spent time cruising the open seas uh, on those massive, massive ocean cruise liners. Uh, he started his own business. He's been a Churchill Fellow. Uh, so many more. Lots to get through in the next hour. So let's say hello and welcome to Brody McCulloch. Hello, Brody. How are you? Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the most uh, immediate and current thing, being recognised as part of the the Western Australian of the Year Awards. You're in the, the business category, and we'll hear all about why uh, through your uh, your space-cubed uh, entrepreneurial efforts uh, throughout the course of the next hour or so. But uh, what's it like being recognised? Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I think, you know, you, you chip away at something for 10 years and start up a business and aim to have a big impact on people. And then, yeah, to be recognised uh, in this category uh, is, is amazing. And mm. I, I think also the what it really shows is that you know you can create a business that has an impact um Mm. and that's what it's really demonstrated for me is that is widely recognized and i think the other people in my category uh all of them are having an impact through the businesses that they they've created and and created a business to really create a sustainable impact over time and yet uh, looking at the way you go about your business efforts you could just about justify an entry in the community category as well couldn't you no, you definitely could. And I think, you know, through the programs we run, we're supporting women to learn to code. A lot of the social enterprises and not-for-profits that use our spaces. Mm. Um, there has been a significant social impact through what SpaceCube's been able to achieve. Yep. Um, social and environmental through the entrepreneurs we support. Uh, but I think having that business lens on it is really different because it does frame that you can have an impact as well as create a sustainable business. Yeah. Uh, great too to be in your space uh, in a state like Western Australia, which business-wise anyway, has such a, a rich heritage around the resources industry. You only have to look at the skyline. So, you know, the tallest buildings all have the names of the big miners or banks, you know, emblazoned across the front there. Um, nice in the business category where we're talking about the outstanding West Australians uh, of the year, uh, someone that's in a, a relatively new space like your own. Yeah, I, I think, you know, mining and energy has really created a great platform for Western Australia and we're seeing that right now through mm. through COVID which iron ore price being over $200 a tonne is 
I don't think anyone would have expected that 18 it, months ago. It's handy at the moment, it's isn't it? It's <laughs> handy. So I think that's a great platform for Western Australia to really look at how it does diversify its income because having one big market and one big product is a bit of a risk mm. um, where, you know, if you're managing your own personal portfolio, then you wouldn't just have one big customer and, yeah. uh, you know, one income source. So yeah. I, I think that's the opportunity and what I've been focusing on for 10 years is how do we support those entrepreneurs who are having a big impact, growing a business in a whole range of other other areas yeah. uh, outside of mining and energy and also inside mining energy. There's yeah. lots of innovation that's happening in that space. And Western Australia is a, a world leader in a lot of that uh, we just probably don't talk about it anymore. No, exactly. As we should. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it now then. Yeah. So, so what does Space Cubed actually do and how did you come up with the idea for it all those years ago? Yeah, so I, I moved back to Perth in 2010, so the tail end of the last mining boom that we were having. Yeah. Um, so moved back from the US. I've been working for a cruise line as marketing manager and great gig. Got to travel all over the world and, and see what was what was happening everywhere for about four years. And then moved back and was thinking about, well, what do I do now? I had some little bit of cash, which I'd saved over that period, and had seen a lot of these sort of innovation hubs, um, social enterprise, uh, and entrepreneurial activity happening in the US and UK. And then moved back to Perth, and yeah, peak of the mining boom meant that there was a lot of focus on mm. digging up, digging up uh, iron ore and shipping it overseas, but there was a big gap in how entrepreneurs were being supported. Uh, so I was looking at setting up a social enterprise bike share business in Fremantle, and realised through that process that there just wasn't a huge amount of support. If you had a had an idea and wanted to drive that idea and, and get support and tap into a community who could support mm. you. So, so that's really where SpaceCube came from. So, I mean, taking ideas, for those who are struggling to visualise what mm. you're talking about here, are you talking about these little, you know, the sorts of hubs you see, that you know, the cutting-edge work environments you see, you know, at, at Google headquarters or in parts of Silicon Valley. Is that is that the sort of idea you're talking about, just a a nurturing environment for all these little businesses to sort of come together and I suppose share their experiences. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So we've built, um, currently there's uh, seven spaces across Western Australia. Yeah. Some of them we run, some we support to run. So on St George's Terrace, we have a range of different spaces uh, and people pay membership fees to access okay. the space. So it really lowers the barrier for people to start up their ideas. So people can come in for as little as $30 a month, um, start up their idea. They can come on to a lot of events, access a whole community of um, people who are driving their ideas as well. Uh, then we've got investment programs, so they can go into a range of programs to start up their ideas, uh, including Plus 8, which is an accelerator program where we invest about $50,000 per business into sort of six to 10 businesses per year. Then give them intensive support, mentoring, um, and the space. Uh, we have a whole range of programs like She Codes, which is a women learning to code program, and then regional programs. And I guess the great thing about SpaceCube is it provides a platform for other people to run their events uh, and programs that support entrepreneurs. So we're really just an enabler and a facilitator of, mm. of that entrepreneurial thinking and, and upskilling. Uh, and it's just grown over the last 10 years where we started with one 500 square metre space at 45 St George's Terrace. It was an old, the old reserve bank. The, uh, yeah, right. the space hadn't actually been used in, uh, I think it was 15 years. So it was actually one of the last pieces of space available during the mining boom <laughs> yeah. in Perth. Um, and it just grew from there. So now we've got about... 8,000 square metres of space uh, across WA yeah. uh, and are growing interstate now. So two staff in, in uh, South Australia, two staff in Queensland right. uh, and a lot of opportunities in Sydney and Melbourne. But really designed to lower that barrier for people starting yeah. up and then supporting them through the growth of their ideas. You must have seen some fascinating people come through those spaces in the years. Any that, that people would know about now who have gone on to, to become something 
well known and recognised? Yeah, so we've had, and I think it's probably taken nine years for us to get to that point where mm. we had a number of entrepreneurs come into the space nine, ten years ago who now have built really substantial businesses. So um, we supported through one of the spaces in Leadable, um, Health Engine. Mm-hmm. So uh, Marcus Tan and the team have grown their business to be significant across Australia now and are managing bookings on a number of the vaccine rollouts uh, programs. Uh, we've had uh, Lawrence from Virtual Gaming World, which uh, he started, it was just him, uh, came into the space for one of our breakfast events, then met his co-founders, set up his team there. Uh, so there's sort of, it was sort of three or four of them. And now they hire about 400 people in Perth. Mm. Uh, and I saw he has just hit number 33 on the Australian rich list. So, yeah. so it's... Um, I hope he remembers where he started <laughs> there. Right? And this is the great yeah. thing is now what we're seeing is the companies that are sort of getting to that peak, uh, finding some liquidity, their staff have all got a lot of skills and then are reinvesting back at the beginning yeah. again. So um, VGW now supports SheCodes, the Women Learn to Code program because they need more developers. Mm. So I think we're now at that point where we've got that full cycle of people coming in, growing their business, and then reinvesting back mm. into that community of entrepreneurs. It, it can be a brutal environment, though, can't it, the startup business world? Uh, equally, you must have seen some good people and maybe some good ideas as well come and go as well. As someone who's kind of facilitating that space and, and, and seeing them you know, burst in with all these ideas and enthusiasm. Is it is it hard to watch those just come to nothing as well? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think all experience is good learning experience and, and that's the attitude you've got to come into it when you're starting a business. The good news now is we just don't have pe- as many people spending mm. $100,000 getting a mortgage on their house to test out an idea. They can really start up for a small amount of money um, test their idea, test with customers and get that support network around them and programs to make that happen. Mm. So we're seeing less and less sort of people betting the house on their idea, which is good. Yeah. Um, but then they can access that network to support them and, and really validate that they yeah. have something. Ideas are, you know, a, a million, you can have a million ideas, but it's execution that really yeah. matters. And I hope you've personally picked a few winners in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've missed a few, um, but I, I remember we had our first, the first Bitcoin meetup in, uh, oh, yeah. in our space about eight years ago. And I remember the guy saying at the time, I want to, you know, I'm getting a $20,000 loan to buy Bitcoin. I was like, oh, that's a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out he doesn't need to work out again. So, I don't so. even want to hear it. He's one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, crypto. Yeah. Who knew, eh? <laughs> I, I didn't, and it was in, happening right in our space. So. Yeah, anyway. Uh, after the break, we're going to go right back to the start. You were, As I mentioned, you were born in Derby. You spent a lot of your younger years growing up in rural WA, but I'm keen to know where this uh, sense of um, entrepreneurship came from in you, um, you know, your mum or dad, or, or where you picked it up along the way. This is Inspiring Stories. Brody McCulloch is our special guest. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our guest in this episode uh, is a candidate in this year's Western Australian of the Year Awards in Brodie McCulloch. Uh, Brodie, I mentioned that uh, you're a country boy initially, uh, growing up in, in rural WA. You started your life up in Derby. Uh, how did that come about, Derby of all places? 
Yeah, so uh, mum and dad were public ser- servants. So mm-hmm. dad, a uh, social worker and was sort of doing his stint throughout country WA and mum was a nurse. Um, and yeah, they, they were in Derby. Uh, my brother was born in Kalgoorlie and then sort of grew up in Port Hedland. But uh, yeah, they, they, we got a lot of great experiences. You know, went to, I'm actually now doing a lot of work in regional WA, so it's good to be back in Newman and Port Hedland uh, more frequently. Uh, and being able to support those sort of communities to how, how they can support their entrepreneurs. Yeah, they're both very nurturing occupations, aren't they? Nurse and social worker. They are. Um, do you think, is that where, uh, I suppose, even though you've gone into the, the business world, there is a sense of, of nurturing to what you do too? Do you, do you trace that back to your upbringing with your mum and dad at all or am I, am I reaching too far here? No, I, I think so. I think the, that sense of civic service and yeah. social service I think is something that I've been able to bring in and just use, use a business to help deliver that rather mm. than doing that through the public sector. So, yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And also um, potentially you know, I've had quite entrepreneurial um, relatives in the past, so grandparents. And, yep. Um, so I think it might have, yeah, potentially skipped a generation. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and uh, yeah, my, my, I'm, I'm entrepreneurial. Uh, my brother works in finance in Hong Kong. So, yeah, um, yeah we've definitely focused on the business side <laughs> of things as a way to create change. Yeah. Um, as an upbringing, though, I mean, they're, they're two fairly, um, you know, they're, they're, they're vocation mm. jobs, really, aren't they? You know, you don't do it for the money. You don't do it for the kudos. They're, you know, they, 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 they are the the unsung community heroes, aren't they? Social workers and nurses, particularly. Um, the environment that you grew up in, was it, um, you know, was it was it tough at all? Was it easy? Was it comfortable? Was it hard? Uh, it was a comfortable environment. It yeah. was, um, yeah, very supportive parents. Um, across, as we grew up, you know, we had lots of access to sport and mm. travelled all over the world. Uh, my brother was pretty good at BMX, so we got to do a lot BMX. of travel through that. Yeah, so yeah, right. He was participating in world titles. Um, I was not as good, <laughs> <laughs> but I got to go along for the trips. So, we, yeah, definitely my parents um, provided a really great environment for us growing up. And, yeah. and I think we're very supportive. I mean, I did very badly at school. Um, tried, tried really hard, but just wasn't good at it. it was, I learned through doing yeah. Uh, whereas our school system doesn't really facilitate that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, I don't know how many tutor, tutors they had for me and trying to support me to make sure that I could get into university and follow that path. Yeah. Um, but through that process, yeah, really, um, they gave me this platform now that I've been able yeah. to do what I can do and supported me through that. Which bears no reflection on your um, your education experience at CBC Fremantle. No. <laughs> <But> <laughs> When you went there, was that sort of your first uh, – had you been in the city for long then or um, was it a move from the country to attend a school in Perth? Uh, it was uh, – we moved about when I was uh, 12 years old. So yeah. I moved to Perth uh, and then, yeah, started at CBC. And How did uh, you find that move from, you know, a pretty quiet rural destination like Derby or Port Hedland? You know, arriving in Perth as a 12-year-old, was it a, a lot to take on? Yeah, it's um, – I think I'm pretty social, so I managed to make friends reasonably quickly. But I think any move like that is a tough one, especially from a Port Hedland, which wasn't even the city that it is today. You know, mm. now it's, um, there's, a, there's a lot happening across the Pilbara uh, and Kimberley with mining. So, so yeah, um, through that shift uh, and, you know, up to that point, I'd been doing okay at school. But then, yeah, when getting to Perth, it was, yeah, challenging, uh, challenging school environment just from yeah. the point of view of, yeah, the way I was learning in country WA, you have a bit more freedom. And also, 
younger years at school, you have a lot more freedom to learn. Whereas once you start getting into that needing to do TE and or ATAR, mm. it's called now, and mm. and going into that structured system, it I still changes. Call it the TE. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it changes pretty quickly. Um, and if you're not geared to learn that way, it can make it very difficult. Yeah, and uh, and I know that um, uh, as a young man, you also enlisted in the Army Reserve too. I mean, where did that motivation come from? Yeah, so I. After school, I managed to um, get in th- into Murdoch University through, yeah. a, through a program there. And at, while I was at university after the first year, I was sort of like, what am I doing? Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, you were, what were you enrolled in? I was enrolled in a marketing, uh, marketing yeah. and e-business, so a commerce yeah. degree. Um, and a year in, you know, your first year of university is really sort of oh. 101. Yeah, it's a write-off <laughs> academically, <laughs> it's a, isn't that's it? Right. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. after doing accounting and these subjects, I was like, I don't know if this is, this is what I want to be doing. Um, so, yeah, to my parents, I don't think I told them that I was doing that, <laughs> yeah. but enlisted in the, uh, in, in the went, went into the Army Reserve. But um, I mean, it's a hell of a gap year to, it, to it pursue, was, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. a different sort of gap year. Most people, you know, nick off to Europe and backpack around for a... A year or so to get out of their system. That's right. You went yeah. into the Army Reserve. I did, yeah. So and did a year basically full time. So yeah. that, you know, took that gap from from university, did a year and got all my qualifications and everything. Mm. So I um, joined uh, the artillery. So I was a gunner in the army, um, and yeah, learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, went back to university and aced university. After Is that right? That. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where. The army teaches you how to just keep pushing through even when things are really really hard. Yeah. Um, and and knowing that those things will come to an end. So I learned a lot, made lots of good friends, um, learned a lot through that, and then yeah, went back to university and got, in those final years, got my best grades where usually I was sort of a, a pass type of grade, whereas I managed to, yeah, I was getting up HDs because also a bit of a shift. I was doing e-commerce um, courses, those sort of things at uni and things that you really int- I was really interested in. Yeah. So, so, yeah, through that process, just learned a lot and... Um, got to meet lots of different people through the army and, and then apply that learning, which is very transferable to, mm. to my university degree. So it really was a pivotal time in your life then as you reflect on it now. Definitely, yeah. I think, um, and you do see a lot of people who are from the military go in to start up their own businesses mm. and set up uh, their entrepreneurial endeavours uh, based on their ideas because I think it does build in that sort of resilience and grit that mm. otherwise, you know, you just don't get in life. Interestingly, you know, in Israel, they have everyone has to go. They mm. have national service, so everyone goes through a stint in the army, and it's actually linked to why they think there's a lot of more entrepreneurial activity Is that right? in Israel because everyone's sort of put on a level playing field. Yeah. No matter what part of society you're from, um, you you need to go through that common experience. So, yeah. So yeah, I think for me it was it was a similar sort of thing. I got to learn a lot about people I would never, you know, might never meet or mm. um, or come across what they're doing and then really yeah learn from that learn how to work with a whole range of people mm. and then that served me really well over the last yeah 20 years how did it serve you then when you got into the cruise line industry interestingly it was one of the things that helped get me hired because yeah right um so cr- cruise lines like the often the captains of these cruise ships they're ex-navy sure. in some way so there's there is that military sort of uh, hierarchy on board Cruise mm. ships, because if there's an emergency, things need to happen pretty quickly. Mm. Um, I mean, I was a marketing manager, so I uh, didn't, didn't have to worry about that side of things, but was more focused on making sure the, the ships made money and had a good experience for customers on board. But it was great. I got to, it was actually, I was looking at two things. One was um, to go and travel 
And one was a way to do that was either go with the army and do some peacekeeping in the Solomon Islands or I'd got a job working for the cruise <laughs> industry of the US. So um, I chose the cruise industry and, and got that to... That sounds like a wise choice. <laughs> yeah. um, and got to travel, yeah, all over yeah. the world. So Mediterranean, Caribbean, Alaska. Um, yeah, have a sounds lot of great amazing. experiences. Yeah. Was, yeah. And Having a good time and making sure everyone else had a good time. That was it. And, yeah. and also the experience through the army helped me for that because I managed to I was in charge of about 80 people from I think it was about 60 different nationalities on board the ship so all the people working in shops and um, uh, casino anything that sort of was income generating on the ships and yeah yeah just working with that diversity there was actually quite a few Australians in my job because Australians sort of get along with everyone mm. and just work together to make things mm. work so so it's actually, a, yeah, it helped me understand a whole range of cultures and then what could drive those mm. cultures. You must have seen some things out on the open sea. <laughs> yeah. it, was, um, it was an experience, that's for <laughs> Come sure. Come on, Brody. <laughs> Any stories you could, oh, you could share that stand out? Some of the, <laughs> especially on like the Atlantic crossings, just some of the, the, it's amazing what people do when, you know, the weather turns south and <laughs> yeah. Um, you're out, yeah, eight days to cross the Atlantic and just... If you hit rough weather, then you see how people really behave. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's just people. People generally aren't like aren't that calm under yeah. pressure, and you yeah. can see that firsthand. Especially it was from both crew and guests, and, yeah. and just seeing how that hierarchy for people to be able to fall back on. There's a process. There's a system, um, and we we know how it all works. Just gives people that comfort that, mm. that we can. We, you could get through it, and, and you always did. It was. Mm. Uh, they were big ships. There was about 5,000 people on board. So The real monsters. They're, they're huge. Yeah. Um, so generally, like, rough weather shouldn't still impacts them, but it's uh, about less so than a much smaller <laughs> ship. <laughs> I've never been on a cruise ship. No. Well, the way things are at the moment, I'm not sure I ever will, but they seem like places of just absolute decadence <laughs> and indulgence. You know, it's just it's it's as much as you want at the buffet. There's, you know, multiple swimming pools to choose from. People just... You know, living their best life, to borrow one of those annoying phrases. Yeah, and I think the in the US, actually, like cruising has started again already. Yeah. So even off the back of everything that happened during COVID, um, and it's generally driven by the fact that Americans only have two weeks of holiday a year, mm. and no matter what, they're taking those two weeks they're of gonna holidays. They're going to cram a lot of good times yep. into those a, two weeks. And a cruise ship for seven days of that is a, is a good way to see a whole bunch of places, get some sun, yeah. and then have a, yeah, really good experience that... For, for a pretty reasonable price yeah. as well compared to, you know, tacking on travel time. Was it as much fun for you or was it work? I, it's Everyone on board cruise ships works really – they work really hard. It's yeah. it's seven days a week, so mm. you're working seven days. Um, you have, you know, some time off. But, yeah, the crew, especially a lot of Indonesian and Filipino crew, are working extremely hard. Um, and, and you saw that through – you know, I was on board during the global financial crisis where the cruise industry still kept growing through that period. But one of the interesting things was we only had – um, pretty much Australians and Russians on board because they were the only ones in the world left with money during yeah, the GFC. Right. Um, and interestingly, a lot of the crew were paid based on comment cards. So right. you know, how the guests sort of, uh, part of their pay was made up of that. And Australians, everything's just good, not excellent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Americans, everything's excellent. Yeah. Um, and Russians just didn't fill them in. <laughs> so, so we had a real challenge where, you know, crews, yeah. pay packets where... 
some of the Quran for 11 months at a time, yeah. um, sending their money home to their families. And yeah. they had a hit during the GFC of their mm. pay. So, so managing that sort of uh, tension on board the ship and as a manager mm. needed to make sure that, yeah, it was really, uh, yeah. you know, people were away from their families. So making mm. sure that they had that support while they were there. In, in, when you come into dock, though, you must have had some, some downtime to go and explore the parts of the world that you happen to be in at the time. Do you, yeah. do you, do you get that freedom? Yeah, no, you, you have that freedom and yeah. you, you do. I got to have some great experiences, so especially in Alaska. Um, mm. I recommend anyone go to Alaska because a lot of the glaciers are melting, so there's probably a limited amount of time to see that sort of stuff. Um, there's, yeah, some great experiences to be had out there in the world and cruising mm. You know, if you're in Europe, you can stop at 18 places in 20 days, um, which you just can't do any other way of travelling and don't only have to unpack once as well. So, yeah. so really good. But it's, um, yeah, it, it was a good time in my life. Got to see a lot, experience a lot, learn a lot. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, moved back to Perth. And good timing because who knows when we'll be able to do all these things again, despite people in the States by the sounds of it already uh, having a go at it. Uh, we need to take a break, Brody. Uh, this is Inspiring Stories. Brody McCulloch is our special guest. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. We are hearing the story of Brody McCulloch. Uh, Brody, you've just spent close to five years floating around the world on this uh, luxury cruise liner. Uh, what was it that made you think, I- I'm, I'm done, I need to put my feet back on firm earth and, and, and get life starting in a whole new phase in Perth? Yeah, I, I'd, you know, it had been, yeah, four and a half, five years and was looking at sort of, I think I was about 26 at the time, so still early enough but still on your prime still, still, yeah. <laughs> so I think as long as before you're 30 you've sort of worked out what you yeah. want to do with life it's okay um but you know had had a lot of good experiences but also at the same time really hard um you know when you're traveling all over the world you know very transient population working for cruise lines so yeah. longer term relationships and friends is, is it's a tough tough gig yeah um so really looked at yeah moving back to Perth and sort of spent a few weeks working out right what what should I do now? Because that was a great period of my life. I'd saved a little bit of money and just saw a huge opportunity in WA mm. where there just wasn't this support for entrepreneurs. And, and you know, it, it's one of those things where you see all this big change happening in the world around our environment, um, society, uh, the wealth that's been created and the fact that we didn't have a good system for supporting people who are going to take on those big challenges was, mm. was what I saw as an opportunity. Yeah. In 2013 you received a Churchill Fellowship, which is an incredible fellowship to get. But I think a lot of people here don't even know about the Churchill Fellowship. Um, tell us firstly, what is the program and, and what did you get from it? Yeah, so the Churchill Fellowship, people can apply from, as long as you're Australian, that's the one mm. one prerequisite that you can apply for it. And it's really to go and they'll fund you to go around the world to look at what, uh, look at the... the Who's doing it differently in your space? What's the experience we can learn from others uh, in whatever you're doing and what you want to create in Australia? And then apply that back and, and share that back with Australia. So it's a, um, they usually have about 100, 110 people a year from around mm. Australia that go on them. So it's quite wide, usually about 10 or 15 people from Western Australia. Um, and I, I don't think it's well known. Uh, you know, anyone can apply for this. Uh, if you're doing something or being a bit more ambitious or something that can have a big impact on Australia, then it's definitely worth applying and they'll fund your trip overseas 
I went to um, the US, Canada, um, the UK, Hong Kong and uh, Singapore through my trip to look at innovative models to scale social impact mm. um, and got to learn. I think that thinking put me forward 10 mm. years of where I was at the time. Yeah. And then I wrote a report about that and have shared that. And I went back through that report recently and all, every, all the lessons learned there have held up well. And, and that set me, I, I don't know if Spacecube would be where it is today if I hadn't gone through that yeah. process. So definitely encourage anyone, they do yearly intakes and process for it. Um, but it is a great, a great uh, award and also a great way to, to see the world and really further your thinking uh, in, in whatever it is that you're passionate about. And you don't have to worry about anyone else having a good time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that yeah. But so what are you actually going to observe? You, I mean, you talk about, you know, these sort of um, uh, new cutting edge sort of work environments and stuff. What are you actually going to, to observe? Are you going to see places like Google or these little, you know, tech hubs and stuff dotted around the world? Is that, are these the places that you're going to, to, to look at and learn from? Yeah, so through that um, process, I went and spoke with people. Uh, so... The whole sort of, it's called an ecosystem of mm. support for entrepreneurs and innovators. So funders, um, co-working spaces and spaces for them to start up. Uh, the startups themselves in these areas, so in New York, um, in San Francisco, in Toronto and how they were being supported. Um, yeah, really understanding what are the nuts and bolts that make uh, an ecosystem, uh, startup and innovation ecosystem work. Mm. And then I could apply that to, well, what's missing here? Um, and and how can we how can we put that in place? So mm. essentially, then spent the next you know eight years actually applying everything that I'd learned through that Churchill Fellowship. There seems to be a, a suggestion come up every couple of years. You can almost bet your life on it coming up. You know, regularly, um, the idea of Perth becoming like a Silicon Valley, mm. like a hub. Does it frustrate you when this headline just recycles, recycles, and then just disappears? I mean, is it happening? Is it realistic? Why hasn't it happened yet? Why do we keep seeing this headline sort of come and go? Is anything happening that might put us on the map in that sort of way? Yeah, I think we're actually already on the map. It's just we don't talk about the fact that we're yeah. on the map. Um, so Silicon, a lot went into Silicon Valley becoming Silicon Valley. There was yeah. huge amounts of defence and government, government investment. There was a Silicon industry. So there was a number of precursors to how Silicon Valley has become the place that has become the proximity of capital, against companies so that they could, you know, be, literally be in the same suburb and meet each other. So a range of different factors that have gone into creating that as a centre of the world uh, from a technology investment perspective. Mm. Uh, Perth has a lot of the similar things. It's got large infrastructure projects, so the square kilometre array, mm -hmm. um, where more data will be created in one day than's ever been created. So some of these stats that, you know, sort of boggle the mind. Kind of make your head hurt a bit. They do. Yeah. And, and I think we haven't even realised what the big opportunities are around that sort of technology yeah. being built. Yet. So you, you mentioned one there, but what is yeah, what is going to drive that development here into us being like a, a pseudo-Silicon Valley? Is it, is, it the, is it the mining tech? Um, is it more defence tech here or defence industry here? What, what is it that's going to propel it? Yeah, so I think the mining tech is already happening. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't get talked about as mm. much. Um, Defence is definitely a big opportunity that's coming up. Increasingly also space, as in outer space. Mm -hmm. a, there's a number of um, companies that are setting up uh, test facilities, um, remote operation centres for space and Earth happening, happening in WA. Um, but interestingly, a lot of the companies that have emerged over the last 10 years, whether it's Health Engine, so Health Technology, um, Canva, which sort of uh, the founders are from Perth. They live in Sydney now and have grown their business there. Um, so that's a $20 billion mm. business. 
Um, yeah, she's done fairly well for herself. They've, they've done very well. And, and I think that's the... I do wonder now if, you know, 10 years later, if they'd started now, would they be able to stay in Perth? And yeah. I think we're seeing more and more companies that are opting to stay here. Um, so, so there is a number of... Th- those companies don't have a specific sector or anything. So our philosophy is around support everyone yeah. um, and whoever, uh, whoever gets up, give them more and more support as they grow. Yeah. Um, and that could be through funding, it could be through mentoring, whatever it might be, because... Mm. I, I can't pick what idea is going to work. Um, mm. So we need to create an environment where the best ideas have the best opportunity yeah. to work. So what's a, a, an average day look like for you? Yeah. You actually do because you kind <laughs> of, you, you're almost the custodian of all, of all these people and their, their ideas and their dreams, their ambitions, their business plans. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to sort of describe you in a way. You're not the landlord. You, you know, you're a mentor. You're so many different things to these people. Um, what does an average day look like for you? Yeah, so I, I've worked out where I can provide the most value is about how do we create that, make sure that ecosystem is mm. really well supported so that if someone does have an idea, they can then clearly see what the pathway is to growing that idea and getting the support they need. So my day really involves, I, I don't have a desk. Actually, I've, I've set up a monitor recently, so I'm trying to sit in one spot. <laughs> but usually it's moving between the spaces um, We've got a 26-person team across the different businesses now, so have a number of different organisations that we use. So um, Cora is our mining and energy hub, Plus 8 is our investment mm. program. So different types of brands for different types of, of programs or spaces. Mm. Um, and, yeah, my role really is around supporting that team to deliver the best they can to our members and, and our partners. Um, and if someone comes into you and says, Brody, I've got this idea, mm-hmm. I'd like to take up some space mm-hmm. in one of your properties... Um, do you just say, well, come on in? I mean, do they have to sort of show you that they've got a, a valid idea? I suppose what I'm, I'm trying to get a gauge on, is, is this like a Shark Tank type experience <laughs> where they come in and pitch something to you and you go, I don't think that's going to work. We're not, it's, 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 it, there's no point continuing the conversation. No, definitely don't do that because yeah. I, I did that initially yeah. and then people have gone on to be very successful. So. <laughs> I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> yeah. which, which is, uh, you know, a really valid thing to do. So, yeah. so again, that philosophy of uh, it's a low barrier to entry from a cost perspective. People yeah. come into lots of free meetup events every second Wednesday. There's morning startup where you can hear from a successful founder and then do some networking. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had Startup Weekend, which is an event you have about 100 people come along on a Friday night pitch their ideas, form teams around the ideas they want to work on mm. and then build the product by the Sunday and, and pitch that to potential investors. So yeah. really rapid prototyping of ideas. So I don't try and preempt what idea is and isn't going to work. It's about create the best environment where the best ideas will work. And, yeah. and if they can make it work, then we're here to support them. Exactly. And uh, yay for them. We need to take another break. After that, I want to ask you about uh, your uh, candidacy in the recent Lord Mayor. You know, what prompted you? What on earth prompted you, Brody, to put your hand up for that? So I'm keen to get your thoughts on that right after we take a break. Brody McCulloch is our special guest. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Brody McCulloch. Uh, and Brody, for those who perhaps uh, aren't aware of your work with SpaceCube but thinking, gee, that name sounds familiar. Where have I heard that name before? Particularly if they were a, a resident fairly recently in the city of Perth or a ratepayer in there thinking, oh, yeah, I do know 
that name. He ran for the role of Lord Mayor um, in the most recent Lord Mayor election. What on earth <laughs> compelled you to do that? Yes, they definitely would have seen me hassling them at local yeah. cafes and, and running around the city. Um, yeah, I, I think the... So I'd been, you know, it'd been nine years since I'd set up Space Cube and I yeah. learned a lot through that process and just saw the city hadn't had a council for three years. Uh, I was sort of a fresh, clean slate opportunity mm -hmm. and thought that, you know, how are we going to differentiate Perth? And, and that could be a good role to take what I'd learned and then apply that into that role around innovation, creativity and attracting that best talent from around the world. Mm. So running on a few key messages about Perth is really, we've already got a great place to live. We all know that. Yeah. But we, we don't really tell the rest of the world about that. Yeah. So at attracting the best talent from around the world, uh, right now the visas are changing to attract talent from around the world. So all the pieces were sort of there. They just hadn't been put together and communicated mm. well. So I thought that role could could really do that. How did you find it? Because, uh, I mean, I take my hat off to anyone who has a crack at, at politics, although I say I take my hat off, I think some people are mad as well, <laughs> you know, for wanting to do it in the first place. But, of course, we do need good people in these roles. Um, I mean, how did you find the just the the process of it and being on the campaign trail and it must be exhausting. It was an experience, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think this campaign specifically, because there was so much media attention around it, Yeah. there were seven candidates for mayor. Um, there was, I think we did, ended up doing like seven or eight panel discussions um, mm. in front of different industry groups or the community as well. Uh, so I don't think that doesn't even happen in state elections. <laughs> yeah. it's, you don't have that level of, of interest in scrutiny. It's almost the closest thing we have to a US presidential style election, really, isn't it? It did feel that way. <laughs> and and it was it was a really positive experience. I got to meet a lot of people around Perth who I who I hadn't met before, um, ratepayers and and then also the business community. So I think through that process got to really understand what Perth was about and yeah. and what the opportunities were for Perth. Um, yeah. yeah, really interesting process. I think that ongoing sort of um it was an intense sort of three or four months the mm. schedule for it where you know you're going from door knocking to um calling people to doing a panel discussion to doing some media and jumping in between that the whole day which mm. you know hats off th these sort of roles it's uh that's that's what it's like 24 7 mm. so so i have a newfound appreciation for politicians um but at the same time it was uh you know just great to meet the community and understand yeah. what they were about um, your, I suppose your background and your message was, I don't know, probably a little more niche than some of the other candidates who went in hard on things like law and order and clean up the streets and all that sort of stuff. I suppose broader messages, things that were probably easier for people to absorb as part of campaign material. Um, do, you re do you regret sort of not uh, going harder on that stuff and, 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 and coming at it more from your natural position of being, well, I'm in the the business space, the tech space, this is what I do, this is what I want to focus on? Yeah, I think there's probably a few things that I would have, to, to win, would have mm. needed to do that probably wouldn't have aligned with my values and, and what mm. I'm about and, mm. and probably would have, like, for the, you know, I'm going to be in Perth for a long time, wouldn't have wouldn't have told the story that I want to tell about Perth. So um, that, was, that was a challenge because we sort of knew that but at the same time, you know, it really focused on the business community and also on the resident groups that we were, we were engaging with. Um, but yeah, the, our message was really about leading change. And interestingly, on reflection after after the campaign, which you don't know at the time, um, <laughs> with all the change that was happening in the world through COVID, 
people really didn't want anything to change. Positivity. Yeah. yeah. Go away. <laughs> people really wanted everything to just stay how it was. And, yeah. and I think it's a reflection through, you know, the border closures have meant that that mindset has really taken place across everyone. I mean, yeah. even myself, I'm super happy with the situation West Australia is in where we haven't had the, you know, I know a number of people in Melbourne and Sydney who, businesses like it's a bit of a disaster yeah. uh, and globally whereas we managed to get through this without that sort of stuff so so i think that messaging probably mm. for the time was the you know leading change was mm. the wrong message um but i don't know if i would do it differently now because yeah. it's the message that you know that if we could get enough people would inspire them i think the big bigger challenge was that you know there was seven candidates and our system of first past the post meant that there was only you know 6,500 votes to go across those seven candidates yeah, and was, the person with the most wins. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, would you do it again? Uh, not, not right away. I think uh, the next, next few years is really focusing on the business and growing the business. And, and I've sort of realised that you know, I've built this platform over 10 years and this is where I can have the biggest impact in the medium term. I think I wouldn't rule it out in the future. There's, and maybe, not, maybe it's not just um, that position. There's other roles. I think the next sort of eight years, though, in Western Australia, um, after the previous, <laughs> after the Labor government just won, I think there's there's a bit of a challenge around that. Where, you know, what's the entry point? Especially since I don't have a political background, um, I've been focusing on growing the business and having an impact that way. So, so never say never to these sort of things. But I think for the next sort of five to eight years, yeah. it's really focused. You on... You dipped your toe in the water, and that's enough for now. I learned a lot. I learned a lot <laughs> through it, and it was positive. But yeah, um, yeah I focus on focus on growing the business and yeah. my impact that. Uh, I'm guessing part of your your role and, and what you do bring to your business is a, a, a figure to inspire people, uh, you know, and to help them, um, but to inspire and mentor them as well. Who are the people that have inspired you over the years? So definitely, uh, mum and dad through the work that they've done. Uh, they've you know always focusing on doing the right thing, and I think that stuck with me over the last yeah twenty years where making decisions and having that as a framework that you make decisions through where you do the right thing and it will come mm. back to to um, support you over time. That's definitely happened where, you know, even if you're having a bad day, uh, doing the right thing and then seeing that come back to support you in the future is, is really positive. Um, I think one of the things that got me into this, uh, into the Space Cube social enterprise space was really uh, read a number of books. One was by Muhammad Yunus, which is around... Uh, he wrote a book called Banker to the Poor, which is about micro lending and micro banking in Bangladesh and how that had empowered a whole generation of women to start their own businesses. Mm. Um, and for me, that was really about, you know, that combination of social impact and commerce and enterprise and capitalism that, you know, we can see capitalism go pretty bad in some ways, but this is a way that it's being used to do good. So, so that book I recommend to anyone, but that's sort of what opened my eyes to hang on. We can probably do this in a different way. You know, through SpaceQ, we make money through people using our space, partnering on programs, and we can reinvest those funds back into supporting entrepreneurs, women learning to code, um, funding startups, which mm. which is really positive for our society. Yeah, and and going forward, this has been your baby now for for several years, about a decade or so, or you know, nudging up towards ten years. What's the goal for the next five, ten? Where would you like to take it? Yeah, so. Really great opportunity with through the mayoral campaign. Now everyone knows what I'm I'm about, which is pretty good. Um, and off the back of that, we've had a lot of opportunities come through the door for how we can grow our impact through other partnerships. Um, recently opened the space with Murbach, and there's national opportunities around that. Um, and and growing our impact. So she codes is now running in Queensland. So I think we're doing a lot of things really well. 
It's really about now how we just grow that impact and support mm. that to continue growing. Mm. Uh, West Australia is in an amazing position right now where mining has got us through COVID. Uh, we've got people moving back to Perth. So there's a, a positive population growth, which WA really needs. Um, and at the same time, we've got a lot of people who have left Australia, picked up a lot of skills globally and are moving back. So I think this combination of things means that we talk about diversification, we talk about the opportunity in Asia and, and how West Australia can tap into that. I think we're now going to get all the skill sets in place and all the pieces to actually act and, and take mm. on those opportunities. So my hope is that SpaceCube would be a big partner and mm. player in how we deliver on, on those things. And, you know, my one of my key goals is, well, not goals, but opportunities is that we see some of the, the building names on St George's Terrace getting mm. bit like we'll have some tech startups that have grown and they've got their names on the building. Mm. I think over the next 10 years, we'll, we'll almost definitely see that happen uh, based on the work from the last 10 yeah. years. Yeah, well, we'll wait and see. Maybe some brand new buildings, not even just rebadging the ones that we've already got, but some brand new buildings. Uh, Brody, it's been fascinating hearing a story. Good luck uh, for the future. And I'm sure next time I read the headline, you know, Perth being the new Silicon Valley, I'll think of you and hopefully we'll, we'll get there. Great. Thanks so much, Tim. It's been great. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.